Welcome to the Coppreneur Path Podcast. Welcome to the show that is all about the path from cop to coppreneur. I'm your host, Adam Wills. With this podcast, I am going to help equip you for your own post-law enforcement entrepreneurial journey with lessons learned from my experience growing a successful post-Leo business. You'll also get to hear from fellow coppreneurs and experts in business and marketing whose advice will give you an edge against the competition. You are in the right place. So let's get after it. Welcome to another episode of the Copper Newer Path podcast brought to you by leo to ceo.com. Hey guys, don't forget you can you can join the free community at leo to ceo.com. So please go there, check it out. Join our monthly workshops. Everything there is set up to help you start, grow and scale your post law enforcement business. I am joined by a special guest today that I am excited about. I think we have a really cool podcast in store for you today with lots of value packed in. Uh, My guest today is Colin Mitchell. Colin, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, Adam, thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, it's it's good to have you on. I've been checking you out, looking at your material, and uh, I got really excited and amped up about this podcast interview this morning because I know you've got some really good value to bring to our community, especially on the topic of sales, which is something that comes up all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite topic. So um, we're gonna we're gonna have a good time for sure. So so let's kind of start off. Uh, let's talk about your origin story a little bit. Uh, what what brought you to where you are today, uh, leading Salescast? Mm, yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I will. I'll give you the full you know short short story here so we can the full we can short save story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the full short version of the story um i was raised by a single mom um with three brothers you know my mom worked nights um she did the best that she could to provide for us we grew up on food stamps we came up short on the rent often um we never really homeless but very close to living out of motels and things like that uh, experienced a lot of things as a young kid that uh you know, I, I would never wish any young kid would have to deal with. My dad spent most of his time in prison, um, seeing my mom get shot when I was a young kid. Um, lots and lots of stories like that, wow. right? Just to give you sort of paint a picture there. Um, and so, you know, I was a horrible student. I didn't like school. Um, nobody was really telling me that school was important. It was just this thing that I had to do that uh, I didn't enjoy doing. And so didn't go to college, literally barely made it through high school by the skin of my teeth. So there wasn't like a ton of opportunity for me as a young adult. Uh, my first real job um, was lugging around furniture, which, you know, at 21 or so, um, wasn't bad. You got to, you know, wasn't living in Southern California, outside, lifting furniture, staying in shape. Um, but I knew that like something needed to change or my life as an adult was going to be very similar to what I experienced as a kid, which was just a constant struggle. Um, and so I had to literally beg and plead for my first sales job, um, to my stepdad. He, you know, had a, uh, he was, had a successful run in a, a company, um, in, in a sales role. And, you know, I kind of saw what that looked like and, um, wanted to get my shot, you know, but I wasn't the most responsible young adult. So, you know, I think I had to ask him probably 20 times before he was willing to stick his neck out there for me. And when I got that shot, I made the most out of it. Cause I knew it was my way out from, you know, living a, 
you know, check to check struggle, um, life. And so what that looked like was, you know, when I was young, I, I worked hard. I worked my, you know, I'd get the first one in the office. I'd be the last one to leave every day. I'd come in on the weekends to get my list ready, to send out proposals, to do maybe a little bit of marketing, um, things like that. And I worked my way up to that, the top of that company really fast. I love your story because not only does it demonstrate that the American dream is still a thing, right? I mean, uh, you can achieve whatever you set your mind to achieve. But what I really love about it too is your story, I guarantee you, resonates with the rest of my audience because there was nothing more gut-wrenching and, and troubling to me in my career as a cop than when I would see kids caught up in the middle of, of drama, if you will, of the things that are going on with the adults in their life that are supposed to be leading them and guiding them and protecting them. And, and it's, it's painful to see that and then wonder, is this kid ever going to make it? Or is this kid destined to failure just because of the environment that they've been raised in? And, uh, you know, not to, not to pick at wounds here or or anything like that, man, but, but that's why I love your story is because, uh, it brings some joy to me to know that, you're one of those kids that another one of my brothers and sisters in blue probably looked at one day and asked that same question. Uh, and you are here today because you've, you've seen success kind of a Phoenix from the ashes, if you will. And that just makes me feel good to know that, that, that does happen, that, that not everybody that is raised in a situation like that ends up doing the same things and following the same path, because I'll admit to you, um, you know, while, while my circumstances sure don't sound like anything like yours, uh, the fact that I even became a cop was pretty, pretty uh, astounding um, because mm-hmm. I was not a very responsible teenager either. And I, I rebelled and did a lot of really stupid stuff. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like people like that have a greater appreciation and, and place a higher value on what they have in life and what they're able to accomplish because it wasn't handed to them. Yeah. I mean, everybody has a story, right? You have yours. I have mine. Some people have it, you know, worse off than me for sure. But you sort of have a choice. Like, are you going to let that hold you back? Right? You know, and are you going to let that propel you forward? Um, and that is really what drove me forward. And, you know, through those experiences, I didn't appreciate them, you know, as a kid, as they were happening to me. And even as a young adult, Um, you know, there was a lot of shame and regret and like, you know, even just not even wanting to talk about it or tell people about those experiences. Um, but I truly believe that they molded me into the person that I am today to be able to accomplish things that I don't know if I would have been able to otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And those, those lessons learned are the thing that we can't understand in the moment, but when we look back, we see the value that we can make out of it. Right. Uh, Absolutely. So let's, let's shift gears here for a second. Let's get to the kind of the meat and potatoes here, what we wanted to talk about, because you, from this past that you just shared with us, you really got into sales and uh, became good at it. And now you've scaled a company of your own to 5 million plus in annual recurring revenue. Um, And now you're, you're, you're helping to teach those skills to other people. So what can you tell us about sales? What do we need to know and understand that, uh, what's your secret sauce and what got you to that point? 
Yeah, yeah. So just to put a little bit of a timeline together, right? So that first company, I spent some time there. I was promised a leadership position, never got it. Uh, left and took a VP of sales position and then started my first company in 2010 with my wife. We grew that business to $5 million in annual revenue in 26 months. Wow. Um, I've trained you know, probably over 100 people um, at this point in sales specifically. And when we were scaling that first business, that was all purely outbound sales, um, $0 spent on marketing, um, just training and hiring, uh, hiring and training sales reps. Um, and, uh, and then from there, we had some challenges and some problems and a lot of failures. Um, so in that business, we were a product business um, and it was getting more and more competitive with e-commerce and online and Amazon and all of these other places that people could buy a lot of these products that we sold. Um, that we started to try to get into different services. So we sold, we were a bit of an IT VAR. We sold hardware, uh, software, consumables, office equipment, things like that, mainly to school district government um, and some you know, uh, private companies as well. Um, and it was getting really competitive and margins were getting thinner and thinner. Um, so I tried to sort of um, build that business into more of an IT service business, um, spent lots of money, racked up debt, uh, spend a ton of money on marketing after that, you know, run of, you know, zero to 5 million in 26 months, um, got away from doing sales as much. Like I'm this type of sales leader that likes to get in the trenches and still stay on the front lines with the team and try and test new things. Um, and I sort of got to, uh, uh, you know, out of that being more of a, you know, high level operator of the business. And, uh, I was really unhappy. I didn't enjoy it. Um, many of those services that we tried to launch, Failed. We spent lots of money, hired consultants, hired specific specialized reps to sell these services, failed again. Um, and then finally, one of the things that really what happened there was um, we were an outbound you know, sales engine um, that we had built and we heavily relied on our phones. And you know, voice over IP technology wasn't new at the time, but it still wasn't great. The quality was horrible. There was a lot of out outages. Support was bad with a lot of the providers. Um, and I was ripping my hair out because when you have sales, you know, uh, you know, huge sales team that comes in at 5 a.m. in the morning to work the East Coast and they get paid by picking up the phone, um, they get pretty angry when the phone's not working. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, there was an IT guy there in our business and he said, I think I can put something together that'll work better for you. Um, and I was like, man, I will try anything. Um, and he, you know, spun up a virtual server and put some software and connected it to a provider and it worked nice. and worked really well. And I was like, I think our customers could probably have these same problems. Um, but because we had launched all these services and failed, I didn't want it to be another one of those or, you know, start to look like this company that does a lot of things, but nothing well. Um, so we spun up another company, um, and that was a unified communications company. We scaled that purely on sales, zero to 6,000 users on the platform. And then I recently exited that company. Um, and it was fun. Um, but in the midst of that, towards the end, uh, I connected with Chris, my co-founder at SalesCast. And, uh, and, and basically, uh, I went on a podcast for the first time. And then, you know, there's a whole nother story there. But I can tell you that if you're an entrepreneur or if you had a side hustle or whatever, like sales is the number one skill that you need to know. Like I didn't go to school. I didn't, 
you know, have this huge professional background that enabled me to scale a business from zero to five in 26 months, and then another business from zero to 6,000 users. And then now uh, another business that we're scaling and growing every single month. The only skill that I had was sales. That's it. Um, and knowing how to sell the right way, right? Like a lot of people think sales is persuading people and, you know, convincing people and, and doing all of these things. And it's not like, it's really just connecting with people and helping them solve the biggest problem that they have. And maybe even just helping them realize what that problem is and position yourself to potentially be the person to solve that problem for them. Um, too many people get caught up in like pitching features and benefits and how, why they're the best. Um, and the best sellers are people that are curious and ask more questions than they speak. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, one of the first lessons I learned about sales was shut up, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just sit there and shut right? Cause it, here's the thing. And I, I preach this all the time. So, uh, you know, we, we won't go off on too much of a tangent about it, but I tell everybody all the time on this podcast and in my community and all of my my actual one-on-one -on -one clients, you, you you don't have a business if you're not solving a problem, right? Uh, that is that is purely what what a business is. It's it's problem solver, and so yeah. there's no way to understand what problem your potential customer needs to have solved unless you shut up and listen to them and let them tell you. So yeah, um, that's a valuable lesson, and and I love how you pointed out there. Uh, that you kind of, you recognized your strength was in sales and you focused on that as being the primary purpose because you can't, you can't try to be everything in a business. That is a, uh, a quick way to burn out and die as a business. And so I kind of look at this episode, if you will, it's sort of a sequel to a solo episode I did back in episode 65 are you prepared to suck? In which I told everybody, you need to identify what areas you're going to suck in when you start your business. Know that early on, and then address those uh, as you move forward. You need to you need to lay a foundation of understanding about them, but as soon as possible, identify other people to fill those roles. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's so much easier today than it was like ten years ago. I mean, being able to outsource things or finding, you know, companies that do fractional work to solve problems that you suck at is a lot easier than it used to be. Um, there's lots and lots of options. Um, it could be as simple as just like hiring a virtual assistant to, to, you know, handle a bunch of things that you hate doing. Maybe you hate doing social, maybe you, you know, hate doing, um, you know, prospecting, whatever the case is, like there is lots of options to hire talent to do things that you suck at. But in the same regard, like you do need to kind of have a little bit of ownership of figuring out like what is the job that needs to get done before you can pass it off, right? So as an entrepreneur, um, like really documenting your processes early on is really, yes. really, really helpful. Yes. Um, because a lot of times entrepreneurs get stuck where it's like, oh, I know how everything works, but it's just all in my head in between my ears. And like, that's really hard to pass it off. Um, and you also have to be willing to think like, okay, if I pass this task off to this person, they may not do it as good as me, but like, is it good enough for me to live with? And that's okay. Um, because it's your business. Like nobody's going to ever care as much as you. It's just not possible. Even if you have the greatest, biggest, passionate mission behind what you do, that person is not going to care as much as you. So they might not do it exactly the way you want or quite 
as good as you would like it to be done, but is it good enough? And you got to be okay with that. Yeah. So with the time we have left here, Colin, uh, I want to unpack that a little bit more because we, we titled this episode that failing is the secret to scaling. And I want to, I want to unpack that a little bit more before we do that. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back on that topic. Hey, it's break time real quick. Are you interested in being a guest on the Copper Path podcast? Or do you know someone else who would be a good guest on the show? I'm always looking for copper who can share stories of their own copper journey, regardless of how early you are in that journey or how far along you are. I'm also looking for guests who don't necessarily have a law enforcement background, but can offer expert business and marketing advice. So if you would like to suggest a guest, or see about being featured yourself on an upcoming episode, please go to cpp.fm forward slash guest and fill out the quick five question form. Again, that's charlespaulpaul.frankmary forward slash guest and fill out the quick five question form. All right, we're back, Colin. We want to talk a little bit more about failing. So why is failing so important in your mind to embrace? Because I think that's a point that it's a, it's a mental hurdle that people get stuck on yeah. is that I have to do everything perfect the right way the first time and I can't <laughs> fail in my business. And the reality is you have to fail at some things in order to learn the things you need in order to succeed and grow. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons and ways that you can view this, right? The first one that I'll touch on is, I mean, if you're not failing in your business, then you're probably not reaching high enough. You're probably not taking enough risk. You're probably not really stretching to push yourself further and you're maybe stuck in a place that's comfortable, right? If you're not pushing yourself to get uncomfortable on a regular basis, then you are not meeting your full potential. And you got to think about that for a second. Amen, like, brother. When's the last time that something really scared the crap out of me? Um, and for me, I, I sort of have this superpower um, that I'm fortunate enough is like, there's not a lot of things in business that freak me out. I mean, we talked about it early on. I've had some pretty, you know, horrid things happen. Seeing my mom get shot, you name it, growing up the way I did, like, business challenges don't freak me out. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm like, all in Hey, this is, this is bad, but it ain't as bad as it used to be. And, you know, I like to just play this. This is sort of my process of processing things. Cause I'm a bit of a risk taker. And sometimes my wife has to talk me off the ledge a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You and me um, both buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And which is good. You need to have that person because some risks you, you know, there's been some things where it's like, yeah, that sounded like a good idea but I'm glad I didn't do yeah. it. Right. Um, because not all ideas are good ideas. I have, you should have some of my, it bothers my wife because I'll tell her all the time, like we're talking about personal finances and investing in something or whatever. And she's like, but that's a lot of money. It's like $5,000. And I'll say, I've wasted more money than that and poor business decisions. And we've been all right. So and it, she doesn't like that very much, but it sounds like, sounds like we're kind of similar in that vein of being risk takers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the thing is, is I like to just process things kind of like this, like, Hey, okay, here's the, you know, this new thing that I'm thinking about doing or challenge or, you know, thing to push the business forward or new way of doing it or whatever the case is. Okay. And I just try to think about what's the worst that could happen. Like if this 
is just an absolute fall flat on my face experience does not work. What is the worst possible outcome? And if I can live with that and it's not going to, you know, be totally detrimental and put me and my family, you know, homeless, um, then, you know, I think it can be okay. Right. So obviously you got to find what your comfort level is with your risk tolerance. Um, but I like to just think what's the worst possible scenario here? What's the worst possible outcome? And could I recover from that or could I be okay? But it also comes with a, like, you got to have some confidence. You got to believe in yourself. You got to bet on yourself. Um, because I've made way more failures than successes. Like, I mean, I'm a stubborn person. A lot of entrepreneurs are. So like, Adam, even if you told me like, hey, this is the way you should do something or you shouldn't do this thing. Sometimes I got to just do it and experience it and <laughs> fall on my face and be like, man, Adam was right. Yeah. That sucks. Yep. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I, You know, the thing is, and and we, I would be remiss to have you on the show and not talk about sales. So I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to make a segue here because I feel like sales is one of those skills that gives you the confidence to be able to stand behind some of those decisions. Because there, there's just something about having a sales con conversation and being comfortable with it that gives you confidence in other areas of your business and life in general, right? So um, so let's use that as our transition to talk a little bit about sales and how can we use uh, how can we use that to, to grow our confidence? And what are some, what are some of your sales uh, tips and advice? Yeah. I mean, we like to say here at SalesCast that uh, we have two, two departments, sales and sales support. That's it. Okay. <laughs> you know? And so uh, if you think about that for a second, like sales is the only department if you, you know, and even if it's just you and your virtual assistant, like you got, you know, sales and sales support, right? So, um, sales is the only department that brings money in. Right. And we talked a little bit about, you know, you got to learn how to solve the biggest problem for your prospects. Right. But you also need to know what problems you don't solve because early on, yes. it's really easy to say, well, my ideal customer profile is anybody who's willing to write me a check. Right. <laughs> and you'll learn early on that that's not the case. So you need to start to get really clear on who you serve best what problems they have and why you're the best option that they should go with. And a lot of times you hear, you know, how can you really add value to people, right? You hear people talking about adding value all the time. And I don't mean writing a blog and sending it to them or <clears throat> sending them some unsolicited message with a big pitch about your product or your service. Like how can you really add value? So when you engage with these people, can you teach them something? Can you challenge their thinking about something? Um, <clears throat> or can you solve a problem that they have? But the thing is in sales, a lot of times <clears throat> you're going to lose more than you win. Even the most elite sellers, and you should. Okay. The most elite sellers lose more than they win, right? If if you think about it in baseball, like a great baseball player has a 300 batting average, meaning that, you know, they don't get a hit way more often than they actually get a hit. Right. And so that you got to realize that part of those losses are wins. Yeah. So those losses are wins. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because they're learning experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're a new entrepreneur or even if you're just testing a new market or testing a new customer profile, you got to look for those small wins. Okay. And, and how you can do that is be seeking feedback, right? The people who buy from you, if you ask them for feedback, Hey Adam, why did you go with us? They're going to probably have a lot of good things to say. 
And that's great. But let's say, for example, me and Adam went down the path and Adam decided not to do business with us. And I went back to Adam and I say, hey, Adam, no pressure here, but I really would love your feedback. I'm just curious, you know, why you didn't end up going with us, why we didn't maybe earn your trust or earn your business. Um, and that feedback is super valuable because yeah. Adam might say, well, you were too pushy. You called to, you called me way too many times. Your pricing wasn't good. You know, I didn't really see value in solving this problem. So those things that you learn from those losses are going to build up your knowledge to get more wins. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. And I think even that's something I will admit I don't follow up on enough is asking that sort of question from both closed and lost proposals, right? Um, yeah. But I'm curious uh, if you think there's some sort of like magic ratio, right? Because I was once told that uh, if you're not losing at least 20% of your proposals, then you're you're probably priced too low. So generally speaking, I try to keep track of that, you know, in my proposal software. And if I start, if I start winning more than 80% of my proposals, I increase my rates, uh, right. Until I kind of come back down to that, uh, losing 20%. Uh, do you, do you think that's an appropriate ratio? Because it sounded like you were just saying that we should actually be losing maybe more than half of those. Um, does that differ from industry to industry? It definitely differs. I mean, it differs on, you know, what your business is. It depends on who you're targeting, how complex the sell is, you know, what, what you're priced at. Like, is it, you know, is it a, you know, million dollar contract or is it, you know, a $60,000 a year contract? Like there's a lot of variables. I couldn't say that I have any right answer, right? It's, it's, it's definitely different for, for each individual. Um, you know, if you're winning 50% of the time, I think that's a pretty good ratio. Um, you know, it, and you'll know, if you're winning more and people are buying just based on price, right? So that feedback that you get from the wins, <clears throat> I wouldn't say there's maybe, at least in my experience, not a particular number, but you know, Adam, if you go to those deals that you win and you say, Hey, why did you go with us? And if you just keep hearing, Oh, well, your price was great. Your price was great. You had the best price. And the thing is, is honestly, most people don't always go with the best price because they question the value. Yeah. Is this a discounted service right. is, you know, people typically go, in the middle or even with the higher option if it's packaged well, right? Or if the value is perceived in a different way. Um, so, you you know, pricing, if people are just buying based on price, you don't want those clients because they will leave for price. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, I'm curious too, as far as, you know, since we're in the price realm, uh, yeah. one of the things that I've always applied to my initial sales conversations, and I, I have a lot of learning to do in the sales department. In fact, I probably need to hook up with you after this, uh, uh, podcast interview. But, uh, one of the things that I had, had learned somewhere along the way was that we, you have to be more direct in your sales calls about pricing, right. And, and budget really not pricing, but budget. Uh, and so I've started leading in with that, right. And on my sales calls, I've the very first thing or kind of near the very first thing, it'll do a little bit of rapport building first, but then I go, yeah. okay, did you have a budget that you had already set in order to accomplish this goal that you're looking to accomplish? It, is that kind of the right place to put that question is up at the front or, uh, somewhere else in that sales conversation? So I think that it's definitely appropriate. Um, this is a topic I've been talking about uh, recently too with folks. Um, 
And I think that it's definitely a good idea to talk about price early. Now, I'm not saying, hey, Adam, we get on the phone. And I'm like, hey, just so you know, are we start off at you know right. 3K a month. You know? yeah. But you know, build a little bit of trust or report, but also don't wait for them to ask price, right? So many people run a discovery call or an introduction call or free strategy call, whatever you want to call it. It's a sales call, right? Um, and then they wait till the very end and they'll ask their prospect, yeah, do you have any questions? And they wait for the customer to say, oh yeah, well, you know, and, and they wait for them to ask about price. So when you're telling, when you're talking about the value or what it is that you do or how you might be able to help, um, address price. And if you have a complex product or service, you don't have to be exact. Say, hey, you know, typically our engagements start here, you know, and then it can get somewhat customized based on your needs. Um, or typically clients of your size or, you know, similar deals that we've done, like what we're discussing here, range from here to here, right? So you don't have to be totally married to the exact price um, that you mention on that call. But Adam, I would, I would want to know right away if like, Hey, we're far off. Like they don't yeah, have budget. Yeah. Don't waste, this is don't waste their time thought. and don't waste mine. Lose early, yeah. lose early because your time is equally or more valuable. I don't want to say more, but is equal value, equally valuable as your prospects. So many people, so many sellers don't value their time as much as they do their prospects. And your time is equally as important because there's other people out there that you can serve that can't afford or do see the value in what it is that you do. Yeah. Man, you've got so many nuggets that we can unpack. Uh, I could just talk to you all day. Maybe what I need to do is put some pressure on you here after we get off this uh, recording and see if you'll come do a workshop for us in uh, the Elio to CEO community. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to. All right. That would be awesome. And we can, we can unpack no pressure this more. Yeah, no. Well, now that I said it on the air, you're kind of stuck, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's my way of being persuasive, <laughs> but <laughs> Hey, no, this has been an awesome, awesome interview. Lots of value here. Why don't you wrap things up? Give us some final thoughts, uh, and then let everybody know how they can connect with you and where to find uh sales cast and, and, and engage with you in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Adam, for having me on. So, um, final thoughts is, you know, number one skill you need as an entrepreneur is sales. If you, if that's not for you, get a co-founder or somebody, a business partner that does have those skills. Um, we covered a lot of things here that could be helpful. Um, but also you can check out sales transformation on whatever podcast platform that you're enjoying this episode on today, search out sales transformation where we drop five episodes every single week for you to transform the way that you sell. Um, and then we also have our, our uh, B2B podcast community where we're teaching folks how to leverage their podcast to align with business objectives and drive revenue. And you could check that out at salescast.community and you can join for free. Awesome. And as, as always, guys, we will have all the links to uh, those sites that he just mentioned in the show notes for this episode. You can just go to cpp.fm and, and then you'll find this episode there and you can check it out. Colin, awesome having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at leo2ceo.com forward slash podcast dash review or in your preferred podcast listening app. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other compreneurs like yourself find the show.
Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to leo2ceo.com, click on podcast and search this episode number, and you'll find all the links, descriptions, and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.